Well, good morning. I was going to say welcome back, and I was like, maybe you haven't gone anywhere. I have. So uh, it's good to be back. Uh, thanks for a time away for my family and I. We uh, enjoyed some great time together um, up in the Okanagan, visiting with uh, family and friends up there as well. And uh, yeah, coming back, feeling rested, perhaps a little sun-kissed, but uh, enjoyed myself uh, incredibly, and it was just great to have that time away. So thank you for that. Also excited to be back and uh, glad to be together with you. So we're going to do now, uh, today at this time, what we do each Sunday. We're going to look at a passage from God's Word. We'll talk about what it means and why it matters and what we should do about it. So if you have a Bible with you, a Bible app, some of you might find a Bible even underneath the chair in front of you. And if you would turn to our passage, uh, Exodus chapter 20. Today we're going to focus in on verse 15. The eighth word, but as we do each Sunday, we're going to start with verses 1 and 2, which gives us the context through which we look at each of the passages, through which we look at each of the commandments. So we'll start with verse 1 and 2 and then jump to verse 15. So if you found that, if you'd stand together with me, I'll read this passage for us. What? Oh yeah, that's not the right. Let's skip one past that. I don't know. Either way, that's okay. We'll get there. We're doing the next one. We're not doing this one. I'm not going to re-preach that one. <laughs> Chris already did that one. Did a great job. So, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, verse 15. You shall not steal. That's where we're focusing today. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let me pray for us quickly, and then uh, we'll dive into uh, verse 15 today. <laughs> Father, thanks so much for an opportunity to gather, and we thank you for your word. Um, we thank you that this is a living word. This is not just some ancient document written thousands of years ago by people trying to record history. This is a living word that speaks to us today because it was written and inspired by your spirit. And so I ask, Spirit of God, would you come remove every hindrance and block to what you want to accomplish today in each one of us through this word. And I pray that that good purpose would be accomplished in each one of us. And as I always ask now, eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth? Amen. Amen. Well, in one of his classic covers for the Saturday Evening Post, 1936, entitled Tipping the Scales, Artist Leslie Thatcher pictures a shopper and a butcher standing here on either side of a scale as a Thanksgiving turkey is weighed for purchase. And one of the things that I loved about these magazine covers, including some of the other really well-known ones from another artist for the Post, Norman Rockwell, you might know some of his stuff. Uh, what I loved about these uh, covers was, was their attention to detail. I mean, they're beautifully done, but also the way they seem to capture these moments in time so perfectly. You feel like a fly on the wall watching what's happening. So here, a butcher surreptitiously kind of adding weight to the scale and thus value to the turkey by pressing down on the scale, while at the same time, this woman is pressing up on the bottom of the scale in order to reduce the cost, and then both of them really just canceling out the work of each other, so the turkey is actually exact same price uh, as it would have been anyway. And it's, you know, it's charming, 
uh, as we look at these kinds of things, we kind of wink at the kind of relatively harmless injustice of what's going on. And yet at the same time, as Cecil Myers rightly points out, he says both the butcher and this lovely lady, like if you were to call them out on what they were doing here, both of them would deeply resent being called thieves. The lady, she would never rob a bank or steal a car, he says. The butcher would be indignant if anyone accused him of stealing. If someone gave him a bad check, he would call the police. But neither saw anything wrong with a little deception that would make a few cents for one or save a few cents for the other. So we're continuing in our summer teaching series now this morning through the Ten Commandments entitled Ten Words. And today, looking at the eighth word, you shall not steal. And if you're at all like me, what stands out to you about this 15th verse is both its brevity, don't steal, as well as, just like we saw with the command not to murder, the apparent ease we feel initially in our ability to keep it. As, as one person pointed out, they kind of said, finally an easy one. Okay, just don't steal anything. Got it. Great. But as Alec Mateer rightly points out, the brevity of the eighth word is only meant to indicate its comprehensive application to all aspects of life, and thus making it obedience to this far more challenging than we might have imagined at first. As he writes this, quote, the lack of specifics following the prohibition of theft mean the command simply transcends conditions or circumstances whether it's the prohibition, uh, whether it's a matter of carrying off goods or kidnapping people, whether the thing is stolen is a valuable or trivial. In a word, the scriptures respect private property and demand integrity in the whole range of personal, economic, and commercial relationships. Everything. And we'll dig more into what this eighth word is calling us out from. Uh, as we dig in this morning, in order that we might experience more of the fullness of life that God intends for us to experience. But along with that, I also want to look at what this word is calling us to. Not just what it's calling us out from, but what it's calling us to. For as I'm praying, you'll see more clearly by the end of this message. The eighth word has as much to do with refraining from taking what belongs to someone else as it does with the way in which we hold on to what belongs to us. So if you close your Bibles, your Bible app, whatever it is, would you open them again with me to that passage? Follow along with me as we continue to explore these ten words which reveal, as we've said, both the character of God himself as well as how altogether they call us out of the self-destructive ways we so often believe will lead to fullness and set us on a course to actually experiencing it. So let's look, first of all, at what this eighth word is calling us out from. What is the eighth word calling us from? And we need to look at this because, as I said earlier, I believe there's a tendency within all of us, like I guess if we've never, I don't know, run into a bank with a gun wearing a ski mask, if you don't have a, a cave of pirate treasure somewhere that is, there's a tendency in all of us to kind of just think, hey, I'm good. I'm good as it relates to this commandment, to this eighth word because I haven't done any of those things. So I'm in the clear for command number eight. Awesome. And sure, yes, no question. Uh, I think it's safe to say that armed robbery, piracy, 
probably included under the umbrella of this commandment, no, no question. And yet, we need to keep in mind, as we just said, the brevity of this word isn't at all to imply just kind of its narrow simplicity, like don't rob anybody, but actually the fact that it transcends all conditions and circumstances. Remember, its brevity equals its comprehensive application to all parts of life. So it's not going to be that easy to just kind of check this one off. But before we cover just a few of these aspects in more detail, what I do want to do, I think it's, it's worth taking at least a moment to consider why it is that stealing is wrong to begin with. And maybe you'd say that's just kind of self-evident. It's obvious, isn't it? I mean, we just, we just shouldn't take things that don't belong to us, shouldn't take things that, that we haven't uh, earned or, or, or bought, and, and that's right, we shouldn't. That, that, that's wrong. But I, but I want to kind of just consider why is it wrong? And remember what we also said at the beginning of this whole series, how the law of God, we said, reflects the character of God. And therefore, when we obey the law of God, it triggers within us the image of God in which we were made. And so what I want to do is let's just begin and at least ask the question, what is it about stealing that violates the image of God in us in which we were made and therefore God prohibits or calls us out from? What is it about his image that's violated by stealing? And the answer is perhaps a little bit easier to see when we look at the commandments about maybe family or the taking of life or sex. But actually, when we return to the creation story in Genesis 1 and 2, what we see there is that men and women were created not simply to just exist in the Garden of Eden, just to kind of sit there and chill, enjoy. No, God creates man and woman. He gives them dominion over the earth and everything in it, and then commands them to work it and to keep it. There's a, there's a command to work and to keep, which means, as one author put it, a part of what it means to be created in the image of God is to have and care for things. It's an interesting way to think of it. A part of what it means to be created in the image of God is we were designed to have and care for things. It's part of how we were made. So then, what that means at its core, this is why ultimately stealing is wrong at the end of the day, not simply because we've decided as a society that defrauding someone of their personal property or taking it by force isn't ideal. No, it's because God calls us out of all forms of theft because it's a violation of how he designed us as image bearers. So I think it's exactly why, if you've ever had the awful experience of coming out in the morning and seeing that someone's broken into your car, or worse, you come home at night and see someone's broken into your house, how more than just the loss of personal property, whatever they take, it feels like personally violating to you as well. I think the reason for that is because when, when someone else breaks the eighth word as it relates to you, it's a violation of the way God made you to have and care for things. That, that, that's why stealing at its core is wrong. It's a violation of the image of God in us. But now, understanding why that is, why stealing is wrong to begin with, let's, let's look at this broader definition, how, how comprehensive this word is, so we can see what it is that God is calling you and me out of as well, right? even if we're not thieves in the, the simplest understanding of the term. And the, third, the first thing I want to point out uh, as it relates to just kind of broadening the definition to have its full impact is to point out and have you see that beyond the theft of animals 
or valuables, or jewels, that kind of stuff, like your stuff, what almost every commentator agreed was that in its original context, what this prohibition against stealing undoubtedly included as well was stealing people. That was one of the first original intents of the command, to not steal people. And while, yes, there's a variety of different forms of slavery uh, depicted in the Bible, most often in the New Testament in particular, it was indentured servitude. You would put yourself in the service of someone else in order to pay off a debt. That does exist in the Bible, absolutely. But what the Bible unquestionably condemns throughout is the stealing of people. Stealing of people, as we saw in the transatlantic slave trade of African men, women, and children, such as we saw uh, in the stealing of indigenous children from their families to be placed in residential schools, such as we see right up to this very day in the stealing and trafficking by force or coercion of women and children into the sex trade. All of these are, are a violation of the eighth word, and a trampling of the personhood of fellow image bearers. And God help us. Well, yes, throughout our history, there have been abolitionists, those seeking to free slaves. There have also been perpetrators and supporters of man-stealing within the church itself. It's a part of our history for which there is still very much an account to be given. But maybe all that still feels far removed from you. Never robbed a bank, I've never stolen anybody. I think I'm still good, right? Let, let me move us even a little bit closer to home. Because the reality is, almost all of us are either directly responsible for or affected by another application of the eighth word, namely, very simply, employee theft. Now, now I'm, I'm not talking about poaching employees from other businesses, that, that happens too. Don't do that, but I'm talking about theft from the companies we work for. Uh, recent surveys show that in North America alone, billions of dollars a year are lost because of this form of theft, actually. Like, just imagine, what would, what would it mean for our economy to have billions of dollars pumped back into it, not because of some government initiative, but because people stopped stealing from their companies? And no, uh, th those billions of dollars aren't made up of uh, paper clips and personal photocopies. Um, the, the, the sum of all this money is said to be made up almost entirely of stolen time. So that extended break that you take. Um, showing up late, cutting out early, logging hours that you never actually worked. And maybe, a little bit more subjective level, giving half-hearted or subpar effort even when you are on the job. All of these as well are, are forms of theft, are a violation of the eighth word. But then, okay, conversely, business owners, you, you don't get off easy either, right? They can be just as much in violation of the eighth word, whether that's paying substandard wages for the same job to your employees. Maybe it's requiring but then refusing to pay people for overtime. All of these things are, are, are theft as well. We're stealing from our employees. Um, the, the, this, this happens in, in all kinds of different ways. Uh, insurance companies. When there's standard practice, in some they're said to uh, deny a quarter of all claims out of hand just with the hope that they won't follow up on the claim and go through with it. Um, it happens when corporations sell a substandard product to witless consumers. It happens when we fudge on our tax returns because, hey, it's the government. They got enough of my money. Or when we 
you know, download that pirated software, that movie, that music, all of these things too. I mean, there's so many different examples, actually. Literally thousands of violations of this commandment not to steal in virtually every aspect of our life. And maybe, as you already know, at the same time, violations that aren't always as easy to identify. They're not clear to, to figure out as others. Sometimes maybe they're more subtle in nature. Maybe, you know, they're more culturally acceptable forms of stealing. Um, this happens all the time. As Lewis Meads, he writes in his book, Mere Morality, he says, we still know that when a thug snatches a woman's purse, he's stealing. We're not sure whether or not a creative ad writer who woos money from people by seductive lies is stealing. We know that a burglar who takes a poor family's television set is stealing. We're not always sure whether a company is stealing when it exploits a poor nation's resources. It's all stealing. It's all theft when the prohibition is rightly understood. But my point, and Smead's point, is that it's just sometimes the violation isn't as clear to identify. We can't always say, oh yeah, that's, that's stealing. But in each of these examples, as well as countless others, we are, we, we're stealing, plain and simple. And thus, in direct violation of this command, as well as the way God designed us as image bearers. Which means, in calling us out of theft, in, in, in all of its ways of understanding that term, rather than seeking to restrict our freedom in any way, because that's kind of our knee-jerk reaction, right? Every time we hear a prohibition, it's like, oh, what's, what's being taken from me? But rather than restricting us in any way, God is calling us out from these ways that are self-destructive to the image that he's created us in. He's, he's leading us towards the fullness of life that he intended for us from the beginning. And he's also helping, to guard, uh, helping us to guard the value and integrity of his image in our fellow image bearers as well. Okay, so that's what God is calling us out from in this eighth word, the last thing I want to look at together with you quickly is exactly what it is that God is calling us to. What is it that God is calling us to in this command? Because as we've seen over the last weeks in each of these commandments over this series, for every negatively stated prohibition in each word, there's a positively stated call as well. The, the command not to take the Lord's name in vain was also a call for us to honor God's name rightly. The command not to murder was also a, a call for us to honor life as sacred. So what about this eighth word, you shall not steal? What is it about this prohibition? Like, what, what is it calling us to? And I believe the answer is found when we look at the Apostle Paul's restatement of this word all the way in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 4, his letter to the Ephesians. There, Paul is unpacking what life in the redeemed community, that is, the church, is supposed to look like. And when it comes to the subject of stealing and theft, Paul says this, Ephesians 4, 28, let the thief no longer steal. Okay, so there's our commandment, you shall not steal, good. But then he goes on, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. Why? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Okay, that changes things, right? It means, as I said when we began this morning, the command not to steal has as much to do with not taking what belongs to someone else as it does with the way in which we hold on to what belongs to us. Do you see that? How so? Let, let, let's unpack this a little bit. Because what this does, I think it takes us back 
to the way God designed or the design of God behind this eighth word that we mentioned in Genesis 1 and 2. For if you remember, when God creates men and women and places them in the Garden of Eden, they're given dominion. They're given ruling authority over his creation and then commanded to work it and keep it. We've heard that part, great. But nowhere are human beings given ownership over creation. Nowhere are our human beings given ownership over what belongs to God, only stewardship. You are set as stewards over what I've made, now work it and keep it. As Tim Keller restates it, God says essentially to the man and the woman, I want you to cultivate the earth, not to ravage it, not to use it for your own ends, but to cultivate it, to, to bring out its potential, to care for it, but not to own it. And then when you apply that principle to life and to the way we see it, he says what that means is then you must begin to look at everything you have and see that you are a trustee, to see that you are not an owner, to see that you are a broker managing it, but not the owner. And then he concludes like this, you have not stopped being a thief when you stopped taking. Read that again. You have not stopped being a thief when you stopped taking. As long as you treat everything you have as your own, and as long as you hold it all for yourself and spend it only for yourself, you're a thief. It's interesting. I never thought of it that way. He talks about really guarding against two competing and opposite kind of ways of of violating this command. One is wrongly taking and one is wrongly holding. They're both stealing. And I think that's really the key to it all as it relates to what God is calling us to in this eighth word, to ask ourselves the question, how is it? In what way do you hold on to all the stuff that you call mine? How are you holding it? Because again, as we saw with Paul's kind of expansion or explanation of this word, the call is not simply that we would refrain from taking what belongs to someone else. It's more than that, right? The call is also that we see God as the owner of everything that we have, ourselves as, as only as stewards, and then offering up or, or offering up everything back to God in such a way to be used for His good purposes. That's how we're to see everything we have. One of the clearest examples of this, how how seeing God as the owner of all things that we see in the Bible, other than Paul's explanation in Ephesians 4, we find right at the end of the Old Testament in Malachi. Context there has to do with God's rebuke of his people as it relates to a number of different offenses, but in Malachi chapter 3, as it relates to their offerings of the tithe, that they were supposed to give back 10% of all that they gathered to God, and that's where we get our kind of subject, our our practice of tithing even today, offering back 10% of all they had to God, but they weren't doing it. They were withholding the offerings from God, and God comes to rebuke him about this, but listen to the language God uses. He says this, will man rob God, yet you are robbing me? You say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? Now that's striking language, isn't it? Seems like God's kind of being excessive. It sounds like he's using hyperbole to make his point, telling them, instead of just telling them that they're cheap or stingy, he says they're robbing him. How? How how could they be robbing God? Well, again, as we've been saying, it comes down to how you see and hold your possessions. 
So Keller, again, puts it this way. If it was yours and you were asked to give away money to charity at 10% and you didn't, you'd be stingy. But if it's not yours and the owner of the money which you're just managing asks you to give away 10% and you don't, you're robbing. So yes, the, the, the purpose of the tithe, what the tithes were used for, especially then, even now, was to support the work of the temple, support the work of the church. That's why they were given. But in the end, calling his people to give 10% of all that they had wasn't because God needed their stuff, right? He didn't need their money. Like God was saying, hey, listen, I want to do a lot of good stuff, but I'm going to need you to chip in or I won't be able to do anything. He didn't need their stuff. The point of the tithe, always and ever, and even to this day, was about helping God's people to rightly understand their stuff. It's a constant reminder to them and to us that all that we have is His and we're merely stewards of it. That's the entire purpose of the tithe. And no, this isn't a message about tithing per se. Like We're not taking up a collection here right now. But listen, if obedience to the eighth word is as much about how we hold what belongs to us as it is about not taking what doesn't belong to us, then yes, your giving to the priorities of God is one clear indicator of how you're holding on to your possessions. Whether you see yourself as the owner of all you have or merely a steward. And listen, to be clear, don't get stuck on finances. Don't, don't, don't narrow this down to like one specific thing. For again, as we saw with the prohibition, you can apply this principle broadly to all kinds of different areas beyond your bank account. Right? If everything we have is a gift from God, yes, your possessions, but also your time, the talents and abilities you have, even your very life itself, they are all gifts from God given to you in order to steward. Which means what this eighth word is ultimately calling us to is this. Free, open-handed holding of everything that God has placed into your hands as a steward. To just open up your hands and do this. And to ask yourself daily the question, are you holding it rightly? Am I holding it rightly? Or is there any sense in which I myself could be guilty of robbing God? So this has been a lot. Um, again, a lot more than maybe we initially imagined we'd see when we looked at this. And I don't know where this is hitting any of you. I don't know how the Holy Spirit is working in you individually in response to this word or where any of this kind of is like, oh, yeah, that's me. Maybe, I don't know, for some, while innocent of the most basic definition of stealing, you, you've heard this greater explanation and you know, like, I, I'm robbing my employer or I'm robbing my employees. I'm robbing my customers or the government or my neighbor and, and, and if that's where you at you, you need to heed the call of this eighth word out from theft as Paul says Ephesians 4 again cease from your stealing and return to honest work with your hands maybe that's where you need to heed this word this morning for others again perhaps innocent of the most basic definition of theft you, you've heard this greater explanation and you know in your heart that you've been robbing God and what you need to hear from this eighth word is what God is calling you to. Namely, to learn to hold everything you have, our time, our talent, our treasure, not as yours to do with how you please, but as his to steward in such a way that's pleasing to him. And maybe that feels like 
these patterns are so ingrained in you and just like, I don't, know how to, I don't know how to do that differently. This feels too hard. Promise you, you can do it. I can do it. I felt conviction, honestly, this, this week as well in studying this. And it's felt like that's going to take a huge shift to do this. Maybe, but here's the thing. I think we can do it. Whether it's what God's calling you out from or what he's calling you to, firstly, we can do it because, as is the case with each of these words, they call us not into a loss of fullness of life that we might otherwise have been able to enjoy, but to the fullness and freedom of life that only the one who designed us can actually give us. God is calling us into infinitely more than you could achieve through your theft. Way more wealth than you could ever achieve. A principle, a promise as it relates to this eighth word in particular that you see in the verses right after God's rebuke uh, in Malachi chapter 3 of how he said he was being robbed. God goes on to say this, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there will not be enough room to store it. He's calling us into so much more than we could ever achieve through those other ends. That's what I'm calling you to in this. I'm not restricting your freedom. I'm offering you more than you could ever have. Remember Jesus, John 10. Thief comes only to kill and steal and destroy. I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Won't you follow his call today into the fullness of life that can be found in obedience to this word? And then secondly, we can, we can follow and, and heed the call of this word, and really we must, we must heed it. Because the one who calls us, although he truly is the owner of all things, rather than hoarding all things to himself, instead laid aside all that was his, all the riches of heaven itself, and stewarded them in such a way as to please not himself but us. Gave up what was his, not under compulsion, not at a gunpoint, but willingly in order to restore you and me to a relationship with the Father at infinite cost to himself. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. That's how he stewarded what was his. And in light of such an example, and in light of the great love with which he loved us, may we steal no more from others or from God, laboring honestly with our hands so that, like our Savior, we too may steward all that we have in the service of others and so receive the great blessing that God is calling us to in this word. Amen.